Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. I'm really psyched to be here for this episode with Connor Murphy of Foxing, and I'm really happy that you're here. If you're here for the first time to listen to Connor, welcome to Roadcase. If you are a regular listener, welcome back, and I'm really psyched that everybody is here. As I like to do, I like to remind everybody to get involved with the Roadcase community, and there's a couple different ways you can do that. The first way is to follow us on social medias. We're at RoadcasePod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also email me at info at RoadcasePod.com with your questions, comments, critiques, concerns. Uh, love getting emails. Appreciate the emails that I've gotten thus far, and I promise that I will get back to you. You can also check out our website. We're at www.roadcasepod.com. You can find out a little more information about the show, uh, where all the great places to uh, listen to it, and uh, you can find out a little bit about me, the host. And another great way to show your support for Roadcase is to rate and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. For example, if you're on Apple Podcasts, which is a really popular platform, uh, scroll down a little bit, go to rate and review, click a bunch of stars. And if you're so inclined, write a couple of words as a review. That would be great. And I appreciate your support. So for this episode, I got Connor Murphy here on Roadcase. He's with the band Foxing. Connor's just a super personable and uh, also super philosophical human, and I really loved this conversation with him. They have a new album out called Draw Down the Moon. It's their fourth album. Uh, Foxing's been together for just about 10 years. Um, this is a super interesting album covering all kinds of different cosmic aspects of life. Each track is a different theme. Uh, everything from age to finances to commitment to luck to vulnerability. Uh, just they touch upon so many different topics. Um, so we'll talk about that album a little bit. Uh, also, Connor grew up uh, nearby Chicago down in St. Louis, and uh, we talk a little bit about his musical upbringing. Um, but mostly, you know, 10 years down the line here with his band Foxing and four albums later, uh, Connor who's a really kind of introspective and philosophical person. We kind of talk a lot about different questions and uh, uh, about just kind of going forward with the band and, uh, you know, re really reflecting a bunch on how he'd like to move forward, you know, and he's a uh, very thoughtful. Um, it's a really fun interview. I learned a ton about Connor and I know that you will too. Uh, really glad that you're here for this interview. Thanks again for your listening and for, for your support of Roadcase. And um, I want to send a special thank you to Connor Murphy for being here on this episode of Roadcase. And here we go. Uh, hey, Connor. So good to see you, man. Thanks for joining me on Roadcase, dude. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored. Yeah. 
As am I, man. So what's uh, so I've been meaning to ask you when we've been sitting here trying to figure out the tech side, like that that the painting in the background. It looks like it's. I want to say it's like Italian Riviera or French Riviera or something, but I could be like super off. But I wanted to just throw out some bogus guess so you could make fun of me. <laughs> no, okay. So I that is in the background of every single video call I've done, which is so many considering the pandemic. Well, but is also logical because you're sitting on the couch and it's behind you, but. It's right there. Nobody has ever asked me about that. Oh, no shit. So, okay. That is a goodwill find. Um, Oh, no kidding. So I don't know exactly where it is, but I saw it and it just like, it it hit me harder than like any like, I don't know, art piece in a museum or anything. Like it hit me so hard. You know what it really makes me think of is Mm. if you ever, have you ever been to, um, uh, what's it actually? uh, The Hearst Castle. Oh, no. You know, I am from California, and I am fucking a remiss Californian. And, you know, I need to put that on the docket. I've never been. It's incredible. I mean, it's, you know, obviously, it's what, like, Xanadu is made after on Citizen Kane. And, like, my family took a vacation to California. We went to the Hearst Castle. Right. And it it looks a lot like that. There's, I mean, it looks like so many things, because the Hearst Castle is just, like, uh, William Randolph Hearst like just took a bunch of shit from all over the world and just shoved it all together into one <laughs> yeah. like it's like the Cheesecake Factory of like, right. Billionaire it's a rich man's mansions. jigsaw yeah. puzzle. <laughs> yeah, um, but that looks so much like the pool area, like or one of the pool areas, and I it, huh. that's the the place that sticks in my mind the most. And it just like I don't know, it reminds me of like vacation with my family, but also of like extravagance. I don't know. And it's like a goodwill thing. Again, you're the only person that's ever asked about it. No kidding. uh, I love that. I love it so much. Well, it looks like just it. Okay. So that picture kind of looks like sort of an Italian. I I kind of feel like it's an Italian home with a portico and it's got some palm trees and it's looking out towards the sea and I could be totally off, but now it'll just be a mystery, but maybe I've planted that seed in your mind and that's going to be the place. I don't know. Totally. I mean, it might be like, Looks like the Amalfi Coast or something. Yeah, yeah, or the Italian Riviera kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Totally. I love those those the <laughs> the scenes of homes from there. Like there was a couple artists that were based there that were painting there in like the you know late nineteenth century that are mm. that are super cool. I couldn't pull a couple names out of my ass right now, but well, it's um, also just like the balance on it, like the color to it. It's a photograph, yes. but it's just oh. like it's so beautiful. It looks like like uh, there's a, a photographer Casey. Uh, that uh, has like a like a coloring um, <clears throat> like a preset for like filters uh, uh-huh. that is exactly like that, but it's like you know she puts it out now, um, uh-huh. and I, I every time I see her stuff, I'm like that's just like that one, except they didn't have you know they didn't edit that one, <laughs> right? Except it's photographers crazy. actually had to get their light balances <laughs> yeah, and exactly. stuff done, like it's. Yeah, I don't know that much about photography, but I know you can put a filter on a photo now and make it look really cool. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so here we are talking about photography, but, you know, it's artistic expression, right? Um, is that your dog? That's my dog. I got a doggy too, but he doesn't make any noise. He just sleeps. This dog makes some You can see some him noise. sleeping behind me there on the floor. <laughs> see? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's so cute. Yeah. What's his name? His name's Sammy, and he just he loves to sleep, and so that's why we get along. I, so, my dog's name is Milk. He's a chow. 
He's, uh, oh, oh yeah. I saw pictures of that on Instagram. He's yeah. like super, like just a little bear you call. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I loved that. He's I love those dogs. They're so cute. How much does he weigh? Oh, he's a runt. So, I mean, he's like a dwarf chow, they call him. Uh, uh, so he's, that's uh, a really I kind, don't know. kind moniker. Well, I mean, like he's supposed to be, we got him and we thought he was going to be like a big dog. Yeah. Uh, we love him though. Cause I can still pick him up. Um, yeah, yeah, it's cute. I'm really bad about guessing weight though. So I, I won't even try to guess. Oh uh, yeah. Off. It's a doggy question. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I just saw people carrying him around. So I figured he was like 50 pounds, 40, 50 it's pounds. Pro- probably. So where are you located <laughs> Connor right now? Where are you living? St. Louis, Missouri. Ah, right on. Okay. I'm based in Chicago, so we're not too far, kind of six hours down the road on the highway there. That's right. Yeah. And uh, you grew up there, right? That's, yep. Right Ah. outside the city, but yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So um, what was that like in terms of like musical environment to grow up there? Is that, were you sort of in that? I read, I was really intrigued by that you wrote your first album. And now I'm coming into this not knowing a ton about foxing, but I mean, I was like, yeah, let's get this guy on the show. These guys fucking rock, you know? Thank you. The audio tree session. I had Blake Norris on the the show with Jessica Mindrum, uh, you know, sort of like, uh, let's talk about what you guys are doing with live music and producing and getting all these great studio sessions out there. So that was really cool. And he, uh, and uh, he asked you that question. um, The, uh, if you could have anybody, instruct teach you something what would it be like in history ever right living or dead like i thought that was just a fun question do you you know what i said i don't remember what i said oh um god i I don't remember someone said carpentry someone said the bruce lee one inch punch i don't remember i yeah i'm trying to think because what i said (laughs) i remember as it left my mouth i was like that's a dumb answer um yeah, I, I that audio tree stuff is amazing. Like they, I remember watching those, uh, you know, like as our band started, because mm-hmm. um, they used to have a different host who would ask these. Just, I mean, they and Blake is incredible, and everybody that does uh, audio tree is incredible. But that yeah. original host one time uh, was interviewing um, Caspian, the post track band Caspian. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are we're massive fans of. And uh, they were asking, uh, he was asking them, like, what's the first, you know, and the best music experience, live music experience he had. And yeah. and they all gave their answers. And then they said, what about you, man? And he said, oh, man, Pearl Jam, like 1994. And it was just like, his answer was just like so beautiful talking <laughs> about Pearl Jam. And it's yeah. like, why I was like, okay, I'm going to give Pearl Jam a shot now. I don't know. Audio right. is incredible. Anyway, the, your original question, though, of what it was like um, musically yeah. in yeah, yeah. St. Louis. Thanks, so for circling, I, thanks for circling back for me, <laughs> Connor. I was about to do that. <laughs> well, I, I am so bad at rambling that I have to learn how to uh, jump back to what I was originally asked. That's a great uh, skill. That's a good skill to have <laughs> as an interviewer, for sure. And that's why I jot stuff down. I'm like, okay, come back to that. Yeah, yeah. so uh, so growing up in St. Louis with a sort of a musical environment or not? or Sort of. I would say, so, okay, uh, I grew up in St. Charles, which is right outside of St. Louis. It's about you know, 20 or 30 minutes mm-hmm. outside the city. And um, so it's like a suburban area. Um, it's c- pretty kind of cool area, but also like, you know, very like uh, conservative. Um, it's it's really like St. Louis is this one very liberal uh, bubble in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And then everything else around it 
is you know it's just like you, you see on a map it's like a very red state with like little the yeah. little blue bubble yeah. and um so for art and uh you know music just any any kind of stuff like that it's like you go to St. Louis for that kind of thing for shows or right. um you know whatever so we would have these kind of like um for us especially as kids uh like I, I the first band I was in um, like that actually played shows. Uh, I was like 12 and it was with Eric, our guitarist who was 13 at the time. Mm-hmm. And so we would like have our parents or older siblings, like drive us to go see shows, to wow. go play shows in St. Louis. Um, so it was this weird thing where it was like, we lived in this suburban area that we were very like, ugh, you know, nothing ever happens here. Mm-hmm. St. Louis is like the big city to us. And that's where all the music is. That's where all the culture is. And so we would go there and it would always be this kind of like oasis of like really, I don't know, just cool stuff happening. Um, And then when it came time to go to college, I went to Webster University in St. Louis, uh, which is like a liberal arts school um, where I learned like uh, audio engineering. And I think from that time until even now, I really love St. Louis. I love living here. Um, But at the same time, it's like, I think you grow jaded about the actual like um the music scene in a city like this because at times it's like it's just so frustrating because you see these really really great musicians these great bands artists that all like pop up and they make this incredible music they play these amazing shows and then they never really like leave and they don't like tour or like pursue it as a career. Hmm. So you never really get the example of like how you can go do it um, like as a career. You know what I mean? Like you can't like make a career from playing local shows right? Uh, unless right. you're playing like a wedding band or something. But like to play original music, it's like you just can't continually do it and make enough money to survive. Yeah. Um, especially in a city like this. So anyway, um, it was both a really great place to like play locally and to play with touring bands that were coming through. Um, but also kind of like a thorn in our side a little bit because it was like, we didn't really have an example of another artist that was doing it. Um, Mm. with the exception though, of a band called so many dynamos, Mm -hmm. um, who is this indie rock electronic band, very, like very, very great band. Um, who, uh, went out on tours. They went and toured with like Horse the Band and uh, I don't know Maps and Atlases. All these really great, you know, <laughs> Maps and Atlases of of Chicago. I don't know if you know them, mm-hmm, but like wow. uh, they they would go out and do these things. And they kind of like um, Ryan Wasaba is was the guitarist of So Many Dynamos. We actually, you know, uh, run a studio with him at this point. Um, he plays in our live band. Uh, where, you know, he's been a good friend of ours and he was like kind of a mentor throughout those early years, um, right. kind of showing us like a possibility of like, you could go out and tour. This mm-hmm. is a possible thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's, that was kind of like the, the music scene in St. Louis it, from our experience, right? Like the dichotomy of kind of like, it's, it's fun and there's really great music, but then also like, there's no future was the idea. And we kind of had to like solve for that second part of it. So, 
in you know recognizing so many dynamos uh was that because they did get out there and they did go and tour and so then you guys were like or what what was that thing that allowed you to see that this was that, that this was possible so <clears throat> i don't think even then i don't even think we thought doing what so many dynamos did was possible mainly because they were i mean they were a really good band mm-hmm. and like they had a following um they were signed to uh what was it uh i want to say vagrant maybe not um they were just signed to a label in general it was like mm-hmm. that's crazy yeah uh, they and one of their records they worked with chris walla from death cat for cutie mm-hmm. um you know they're like i don't know a notable band yeah and yeah. uh so i think we that was always kind of out of out of uh the realm of possibilities but we also like when foxing started we really, our goal was truly like leave St. Louis, not mm. like move, but like leave and go play other places. Yeah. You know, that, that's the the whole thing. And so we just made it happen. You know, it was like, um, that's cool. We booked our own tour. We kind of settled into this DIY circuit of house shows, basements, you know, like DIY spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that was kind of our way to, uh, sort of escape that, like the feeling of like, we'll only be a local band, you right, know, right. because I think for us, it's like, we all knew that we wanted music to be our career. Um, or at least, I don't know. I mean, we went, a lot of members came and went in Foxing, but like, you know, that was kind of always the mission statement of it. It was like, we want this to be our career and we want to make something that has like an impact, uh, in, in, rock music in some way yeah um even if we never have a career even if it's never like fiscally uh you know if it doesn't make us money or if it never has an impact it's like those are the goals of it yeah yeah. um so anyway you know yeah 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 i think i think that that really like snowballed into what it is today, but it snowballed very slowly. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what a very a slow snowball would be called, but like, um, it's 10 years that we've been doing this. Yeah. And at, the, at this point, it's like, we're doing very well and I, I'm so proud of our career, but it's also, it's taken a long, long time and it's very, like a very slow incline. So, and you, so you kind of think it's taken longer or it has taken longer than what you sort of envisioned at the time or had hoped for. I guess everyone kind of hopes that maybe it happens like overnight or quickly, but uh, like looking down the road now, looking back now, 10 years ago, are you at a place where you feel like, okay, this is, this is acceptable growth. This is what we thought. This is where we are. And um, you know, are you happy with that? I don't think at the when we started the band, I don't think I ever imagined that it would last 10 years. That was mm. like never I would never expect that. Mm. Um and with that being said, I also never expected it to like blow up by any means. Right. And so I mean it was it's very um it's one thing that's like there's never been a moment in our band that has been like um like I've been asked this before of like, when did you know that uh, the band was like successful in some regard? And my answer is always like, I still don't feel like that. Like, because it's because it's like, um you know, a frog in the water, like turning up the heat kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I, I there's never really been a moment where like uh, Pharrell came to our show and told us we were going to be a star or something like right. you know, <laughs> that just never happened. It's always just been like, 
little baby steps along the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of a question that presupposes that you had some idea of where you want to be. But, you know, you're talking about career, which is not necessarily that fair, right? I mean, it is what it is. And the progression is what it is. It sort of goes back to what you're talking about having a career in music, right? right. Which and career, I, I immediately thought, well, that doesn't necessarily mean earning money at it. It means, yes. uh, which is a different component, of course, and something that, that, that you need to do ultimately to live, right? But, uh, you know, having a career and moving in a direction is moving in a direction of something that you're passionate about. And, um, of course. And to still be here 10 years later doing what you do at the level that you guys do um, and making the, the continually uh, moving in a creative direction that builds upon what you've done before, I would call that pretty damn successful. Yeah, I agree with you. I yeah, totally agree. Yeah. I, I think like for us, I mean, we talk about it all the time that, you know, I think that there is something, there are bands that um, are, you know, extremely successful, either whether it be monetarily or from uh, accomplishments, you know, like winning awards or, you know, playing giant rooms or, you know, what, however you want to quantify like true success. success yeah. They're bands that are like uh, very <laughs> you know, objectively successful, you know, mm. whatever you too, <laughs> like right, right, right. a band that you could just say like, that is a successful band. And then there are bands on the polar opposite that are like truly just like kind of hobbyists, you know, which is like, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with playing music as a hobby mm. and like kind of having like a passion project that you work a different job and do. And then I, we always talk about or consider ourselves like a very middle-class band where it's like, we do it all the time to a point where we can't have another job. Like we would, we we're not able to, I can't hold down like another job doing this. Right. Um, but at the same time, it's like, we're clearly not uh, <laughs> like financially uh, doing great. You know, like it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of a thing where it's like, we're still struggling. Um, but like it, it, it it becomes difficult to like supplement income because you, you can't get another job. Um, and, and I think in that way, that is the way that we're like, yeah, it still doesn't feel like it's a, a full adult job, you know, mm -hmm. or like a full adult career as we're like approaching, <laughs> you know, 30 and, right. you know, we're all kind of like, is this, uh, is this gonna, or what happens if I get sick? You know, like that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wait until you get to be 50. Yeah. Well, Asking those that's questions. <laughs> see, but this is this is what I'm saying is like, you know, 10 years into it, you start to look as you do in any career. You yeah. start to look at you've you've made it this far and now you're approaching like kind of a milestone. Like this year is the, you know, 10th year of of our band existing. So you approach this milestone and then of course what you do what anybody would do is look ahead, what about the next 10 years? Yeah. You know? Does it keep going for 10 more years? Does it go for 20 more years? Right. In that case, like you're looking at the trajectory and going like, okay, what does that mean in terms of like retirement? You know, like this is, this is the point where we start to get these like existential things uh, yeah. happening. And by all means, it's like, we still are really taking note of like, this is successful and we're very proud of ourselves, but also it's like, it's impossible not to actually like start bringing reality into it and start thinking about like what's next. Um, mm. which we're very much trying to both do that and also kind of avoid it for the sake of like, uh, I don't know, 
well, there's promoting a strategic our album and yeah, right. Oh, that, those kind of little things, yeah, for yeah. sure. But I mean, there's a strategic side. Oh. So yeah, there's a strategic side to kind of looking down the line um, and kind of figuring out where you want to be, right? I mean, I, I'm not a manager. I just see it happening with a lot of different bands. And of course, it's a logical question from your own personal, from your own personal development side. But clearly you have, um, there is a creative impetus inside you that moves you forward. And, and, and um you can't like business strategize creativity no. in a certain sense. Like you can't not, it doesn't get backwards engineered into, okay, I'm only thinking of this because I want to go in this direction. It's at least not in your life and not in the life of a lot of, uh, a lot of indie artists. No. And uh, that is always the point of like, that is the biggest detriment in our, in our career, like in our band, uh, creatively speaking is the moment that we start to try to strategize, like how, how can we like um how can we improve how much money is coming into the band to like supplement our lives it's like uh, a very great example of this is like tiktok is where is like the biggest form of uh new music being discovered right now you know mm. it's like all the statistics kind of prove that yep. like tiktok is where you go uh to promote your stuff and so you know, uh, the obvious thing would be like, okay, well, the band should, you know, be on TikTok and like be doing these things. And like, there was a moment, there was a, a little while there where I was like trying to like do some stuff on TikTok, making mm -hmm. these kind of um, videos where I would like edit a bunch of stuff in Premiere. And then, you know, it didn't really pick up. And so I did even like a handheld kind of video thing. And it was like, this is the most disingenuous, uncreative, and like not us thing that we could ever be doing. And right. like, it really, it felt really gross. It felt bad. And I hated it so much. And mm -hmm. we all hated it. We were all like, this is not, this is not us. Even though it could be something if we really pushed and we really tried and we put everything we had into it, maybe it would like help us out. It's like, it's not worth it. It's like we have some amount of, you know, creative integrity with this stuff. And it, yeah. that's not to knock anybody that does it. It's just like, it's just so not for us. So what, um, what, what are the thing? what is it about it that, that medium that kind of just rubbed you the wrong way? I think it's really just like the person at, like showcasing your personality in that way. Uh, okay. Showcasing my own personality that way. Mm. There's a difference between having a conversation with you. Um, or, you know, being interviewed about something versus mm -hmm. being like, like truly just picking up a phone and going like, Hey guys, you know, like <laughs> want to tell right. you about my day or something. It's like, that just doesn't, uh, that's just so weird to me. Um, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with the way <laughs> you're thinking. I get it. Yeah. I mean, social media is just weird and bizarre and just works for certain people and a certain demographic maybe, or certain kind of vibe of a, of a, of a band or whatever, what have you. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a way to get in touch with people. I mean, there are other platforms also, you know, so. Well, and, and I think it even goes beyond social media. Like there are things like, um, you know, when we were making this album, there are moments where, management or like a uh, label involvement. It, it wouldn't be a thing where anybody was saying you have to do this, but people mm. would suggest things like, I think that this song is actually like we would write a song and without the intention of it being some like radio hit, but then right. somebody would come along and say, you know, this song is four and a half minutes. If you took a minute off of it, 
it might actually have a shot at radio. And then we would have that choice, you know, of like, well, I mean, that could really help us if we like shave down a minute of this song. Maybe they are right about that. Um, And, you know, our solution to that, I mean, that exact thing happened. And our solution to it was like, well, let's just make two versions, you know, like, yeah, let's just have this version that we can give you and you can pitch that if you want. But then this is the version that lives on our album. Yeah. Um, It's things like that. I think that really uh, that are really like the again, like the 10 year mark of being in a band where you're looking forward and going like. You have to find that balance because like if if you go fully in the direction of uh, we need to like set up a nest egg for ourselves or something, it's like Mm. that is going to destroy everything that is like good about the thing that we're doing. Right. Um, It kind of for for a lot of bands, it just goes against the reasons why you became a band in the first place and how you've covered um your your following to date right exactly um and why and why everyone uh why your fans love you how they why they identify you is because they identify you with you as an artist and you know oftentimes business and artistry are not are kind of uh, competing interests especially today there's so many different ways of of you know getting in touch with your fans and and uh and that's become that's come into really uh into the spotlight with covid right i mean because you weren't yeah, of being, you weren't out there and being able to get in front of your fans sort of what was that what did that look like for you in terms of uh uh fan interaction and not being able to tour and how did you um how did you come to grips with that and how did you handle that so i think there's a couple of things there one is you know our band for our our the whole career has been kind of we've been known as a band that is better live than on record mm-hmm. uh, to the point where sometimes it's um you know like kind of like an insult <laughs> that somebody will say like uh god i loved your show and then i went home and listened to the album and it's nothing like that and like i was in a bad way <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like well i mean well, it's you not know. live music but <laughs> yeah you know. that's true but also it's like we've so that's been kind of a thing that we've tried to do so much is like capture our live energy on record mm-hmm. um and i think over time like people have kind of told us it's like that I, I think that that's getting a lot better but at the same time the point is really without being able to play live i mean that's where we really excel that's where we're performers without having that it was really like really draining to try to like engage with people to um to perform i mean like to do like zoom performances or like mm-hmm. uh you know uh live stream things it was like it was really exhausting to not have like an audience or to not move around and stuff to kind of just play acoustic or or whatever it was right um so that was extremely difficult and i think how we solved for that uh, for for both of those things, really, was uh, we started a Patreon, um, which we we felt kind of weird about, like doing a subscription service uh, where it's like exclusive kind of stuff, you know, like performances along with like exclusive covers of songs and yeah. a ton. Of, like we did a podcast for it that was like um, that Eric our guitarist was doing and then just like updates about the album. And the biggest thing though, was we started like a discord server, um, kind of just like a chat room thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in that, that was actually like what really changed everything for us because our discord, I had, it's like, if I pulled it up right now, I could 
you know, really see people like right now talking. They are so active on there. And it's a community of, I don't know, about uh, like 500 people Mm -hmm. um, that truly like love our band, you know, and that, um, you know, we we have like, uh, I don't know, there's uh, like right about 400,000 monthly listeners on Spotify, you Mm -hmm. know, like however many people that actually listen to our band and engage with our band and will buy, you know, tickets to come see us or whatever. But then among them, there are these 500 people that are truly like, I love this band and I love them so much that I want to like support them and like know everything about what they're doing, whatever it is. Um, And so when we saw that happening, we really realized like we may never be like a, a, a radio pop band that plays, you know, big festivals or, or anything like that, but we will have, we're like a cult following band that has mm-hmm. like these people that really care. So because of that, we kind of do, we now it, over COVID kind of like seeing how that's happening. Like we really like changed the way we think about this stuff to, to say like, we can make whatever kind of music we want to make as long as we do it with the utmost sincerity and uh, ambition and try to be subversive with it and try to innovate it in some way. Because mm-hmm. these people, this core group of people, um, that's what they want more than anything. Is And right. that's what we want more than anything. You know, we don't want to, you know, I don't know, make the same album twice. Uh, n- and nor do we want to like, play any kind of numbers game with or like algorithm game or something. Right. Right. Uh, We want to like innovate something that's, that's, you know, like I said before, it's like, that's our big goal is to have some kind of impact on, on music. Yeah. Uh, And so I think this is like that, you know, it's the silver lining to this horrendous year uh, is that we've, it's kind of come into focus. Like this is actually, this is what we're meant to do is to, interesting. Yeah, is to to really like be as ambitious and as innovative as we possibly can for yeah. our own sake and for the sake of these people that are like die hard into what we do. Uh, it's yeah. so interesting that that and you know, I mean, the COVID time has really um, obviously it's an understatement of the of the of the of the, of the, of the century that forced artists to take a step back and that's been a good thing in a, in a lot of different respects. Um, but, uh, no, this is, um, really fascinating that you were able to kind of drill down and sort of focus and, um, see sort of and it came in a really good time. It appears kind of in your band development, like that, what can we do and what are we comfortable doing? Um, totally. That, is that, does that sound like it's something that, uh, that makes sense? I mean, it's like, of course, I mean, it, it really put it into focus while we were recording this album, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to, you know, uh, make decisions based on what was something like ambitious to us or something interesting to us, right. uh, rather than like something that would, reach a broader audience. Um, so it kind of, it really informed the way we went about writing the record and recording it. Um, and then on top of that, it also like by the end of making it, one thing that we really realized is like, we want to go further on that, on the next thing we do, you know, we want to 
abandon everything that we think people would want and jump into what we think we can do really well next time around. So, I mean, like currently we're, we're discussing, you know, what we do next. And we've been talking about like doing something extremely heavy for our next record or Mm. like an EP of like really, you know, insanely heavy stuff. Right. Uh, So the, the band that focuses on like super existential band wants to do something heavy now. Do you mean that from a lyrical standpoint, you're going heavier or no, I mean like like, uh, musical sonically, like, you know, really, uh, dark, evil, loud music. (laughs) Right. Um, but I mean, and that might not be what we do, but like, (laughs) well, the point is really, I think it's a good exercise to go like, like what, uh, Eric and I were talking about was, uh, what if, we decided a few months in advance before we started writing something to say, mm-hmm. what if we like it, let's say it was like a metal record. Yeah. Um, what if I, uh, really studied like the art of screaming type stuff. And what if Eric really studied like, uh, you know, pinch harmonics and, uh, you know, his, uh, sweet picking, and what if John really practiced double kick stuff, you know, like, mm-hmm. and then when we actually get to writing, we're actually implementing all these things. So we're doing it not like out of some kind of irony, but out of like complete sincerity. Um, and if it's not a metal record, if it's something like folk, then it's like, okay, well, how can we actually do that exact same thing in that capacity? What if Eric mm-hmm. learns banjo or like, you know, right. uh, I'm, I'm studying like old folk lore stuff, you know, like that's. <laughs> Um, it's just a good exercise to really say like, well, whatever it is that we do, we're going to do it in a way that is like, we actually need to do a lot of research and practice before we go into it. Mm -hmm. I think that's like, it cultivates something that all of us really want, which is like, it's less to like make some kind of broad appeal to uh, a wider audience and more to make something that is like, uh, really like creatively driven and really like for us challenging. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. you want to, you want to do something that's authentic to yourself. Clearly that's what your fan, what your fans are looking for. Have, have all of your albums, um, been really, um, diverse in terms of feel both sonically. Um, you know, I understand they have been like lyrically and thematically, but, uh, but from a sonic perspective as well. You know, I do, I think that they are. Um, and I think a lot of our fans and people, <laughs> people that aren't our fans, <laughs> uh, that are just like online. (laughs) They definitely say that about our music is that each album. Are you, uh, are you uh, roughly alluding to haters basically? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, (laughs) but also like fans of our music, like uh, there's a lot of people that really hate all the records that we've done other than our first record. And then at the same time, there's a lot of people that really, really love our new record and don't like any of the ones before. Yeah. You can't make everybody then, happy hundred percent of the time. Those 500 people on Patreon, those are the ones you're making happy hundred percent of the time. Yeah. Well, and even them, obviously they all have their favorite. Yeah. Their, their um, opinions. Yeah, of course. But I think of course that's how it's going to work for any band, you know, back to you too. It's like, there are people yeah. that are like yeah, Joshua yeah, yeah, tree is yeah. the only thing I'm ever going to care about. Are you kidding uh, me? I was, uh, I will follow dude, but I'm, well, older. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I that think, was 1980. I think, <laughs> boy well, think, was it boy was the name of the album yeah right that's a that's a really great album but like I, my point is really like no matter what you do there will always be that you know there will always be some people uh will hate the other <laughs> is he back 
He is, and it's raining, so he's just like oh, wet. we'll keep him inside. That's hey, okay. buddy. We're, so, we're dog. I'm a dog friendly podcast. For sure. <laughs> oh, dude, I don't know if you can hear him. He just shook off a bunch of rain. Uh, well, okay. No. So my point is, if you, no matter what, a lot of people are going to only like one record um, and hate the other ones, uh, or maybe like a couple, whatever. But if you can really strive to make something completely different every single time, um, then, you know, you're just embracing that and pushing it forward and really Mm -hmm. presenting something new. And one thing we always say to a lot of people that are like, why won't you make it? Our first album is called The Albatross. There are people that are like, why won't they just make another Albatross? And what we always say is like, well, hey, we're still going to play those songs live. You know, like that album, we didn't take that album away from you. It still exists. Yeah. Why would we make it again? If we did, it would be so disingenuous. You know, like. Um, well, unless that's what you wanted to do. Sure. I mean, right. it, right. I mean, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Clearly. I mean, there are a lot of bands like that. I, I think about the National Law when I was listening to you guys. I'm sure you, mm. you'd love them and you're a fan. I mean, I'd like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, for sure. And then when I saw you playing trumpet, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this is great. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, um, and uh, yeah, their, 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 their albums have been so diverse, but you know, obviously there's a common theme. It's the same fucking band. Right. And of um, course, which leads me to um, in talking about the diversity of your material from album to album and over the years, how do you manage that in a live setting? And um, does each kind of phase uh, sonic phase, and I don't mean phase in a negative way. I just mean like, you know, the, the sonic lane that you're traveling in. Um, how do you man it? Is there kind of a feel that you have when you're playing live that encompasses everything? And has that um, has that live feel changed from from year to year, from tour to tour? I think it has. Uh, <clears throat> I think at the end of the day, I don't know if we've ever played a set that didn't include at least one song from every album. Mm-hmm. Um, so we consistently will always play something from each album. Yeah. Uh, and of course we're not going to play it. <laughs> Every song that people want to hear, um, no. mainly because a lot of people will ask us to play something that is like a real deep cut off of our like second album. And it's like, you know, if we played that, you'd be the only person in this audience that would be like happy with it. So like, yeah. uh, and we're not even going to be happy with it. So like, we're probably not going to play that one, but it's like there is always something from each album. And that, to me, is a permission structure to organize a set, like a set list, uh, in the way that is exactly what we're feeling in the moment. So I guess what I mean by that is like um, on this record cycle, we will be playing mostly songs from our new record. Yeah. And that being said, all of the songs that came before it that we'll be playing will also kind of be informed by the new record. So what I mean by that is like if we're playing a song from our first album, uh, it's going to kind of have the same feel as the new record, at least in terms of like how we're actually giving like the energy that we're giving to it. Right. And I think that that is, to me, a really cool way of doing it. Like you don't you're not trying to make a carbon copy of every song that you've ever played. You're trying to give a new kind of take on everything that you've done before. I think that's, you know, it's something from like something I read like from a long time ago. I've never seen Bob Dylan live, but like I I read a long time ago that it's like, 
you know, you can follow Bob Dylan on a tour and you'll never hear uh, the same version of any one song, you know, like, right. Because right. he just changes it drastically every night. Um, yeah. It's crazy when you see him play and I'm like, what song is that? Oh, wait, that's that. You yeah. Know, it's like nuts. Not only is he just playing a bunch of different songs from his catalog, obviously, and probably not repeating stuff. I mean, uh, but yeah, to completely change it up, tempo, style, rhythm. Totally. I mean, it's, you, it's hard. Some of them, I remember I've seen them several times. Like, some of them were unrecognizable until you're like, oh, wait. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Well, how else do you keep it fresh, right? For yeah, him, exactly. You know? I think and, you got to, and he changes up lyrics too. I saw a video of him playing Rainy Day Women one and two, where it was like, these are completely different lyrics. Uh, Wow, that I and I think that's so cool, and yeah. I, I think some people would obviously be really disappointed by that because some people want to go and see a show and hear exactly what they listen yes. to, like yeah. you know, in their yeah. headphones. Yeah, yeah, which is understandable. I get it, but also you know, I'm I'm the type of listener and and live music attendee that really loves to see something change. Uh, seeing like Built to Spill play live, it's like every one of their songs is like five minutes longer because it's just they jam forever and they yeah. like solo for a really long time on every yeah, yeah. song. And I think that's really, really great. Like, I, I think that it gives you a totally unique experience with every show that you see. And oh, we try totally. as hard as we can to make that happen. You know, a lot of times what that actually means is when we play our songs from our current album we try to make those be like true to the um true to the like actual album Mm -hmm. but then you know the songs that came before it from previous albums those are the ones that really get like makeovers and kind of uh have a change in in how we perform them nice you know it it keeps you it keeps your head in the game right exactly is that something that just makes it more interesting for you totally yeah that's yeah clearly you know it gives you, you know, I, I remember I, I played in grade school band and high school band, like mm-hmm. a symphonic band. Yeah. And uh, I remember my band teacher had us playing, um, we we're playing like the music of John Williams and everybody was so excited about it. And when we would play it, we would nail it. And uh, he had us also playing these like standard, you know, like hot across buns type things, like <laughs> really really basic like out of the music book type things and we would play it and everybody would really like be dragging and like not caring about it Mm. they were so much easier to play but it was like it's so boring to do it that we would mess them up and then his point he would he would do it on purpose he would have us play that and then say like the reason you are messing this up is because you are bored by this you need to like come at each of these things with a fresh perspective and like Mm. obviously that's hard to do when you're like one trumpet player in a a full like kind of orchestra, but like, you know, that's what kind of mentality I think you need to have so that you don't get bored of what you play. And so that you also provide a performance for everybody that's at this show. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Interesting. So what were your influences? I mean, because you talked to, did you, you grew up playing trumpet? Yeah, trumpet and French horn eventually. Yeah. And so um, what did you um how did you get into trumpet and French horn and did you have uh kind of idols in in that uh in that world? No, not really. I so my my well, kind of. My brother and my sister both played in a band and they were my idols and still are. Uh-huh. Like they're, you know, I look up to them. My brother's 10 years older than me, my sister's 5 years older than oh, me. Oh, there you go. So they're always like the coolest people in the world to me. And Do they still live in St. Louis? 
Uh, my brother lives in Columbia, Missouri, and ah, okay. my sister lives in St. Louis, like just a little down the road from me. Nice. Um, and so I always just, you know, was like, well, that's what you do. You go and play in band because that's the coolest thing. I would right. go to their concerts and, you know, recitals and everything. So, um, and they also both play bass. And then eventually my brother plays, you know, guitar now and uh, plays in a band. Um, and, uh, so I, that was always kind of just like the model to me it was like, that's mm-hmm. what you do. Yeah. My brother played trombone. My sister played clarinet. And, uh, when it was my turn, um, I started with like, I want to play percussion. I want to play drums. Right. Uh, and then I hated playing, you know, because in band it's like you play snare drum, you know, only <laughs> you just, dot, right, dot, dot, right, right, right. Yeah. Or like bass drum. Uh, and I hated that. Um, I wanted something more challenging than that. And, uh, my, I talked to my mom about French horn because I love the sound of a French horn. I mm-hmm. liked how it sounded like, you know, uh, like a, a medieval blast, you yeah. know, like a yeah, yeah, Lord yeah. of the Rings stab. You right. Know? Um, and she was saying like French horn, if you learn how to play French horn, not many people do it. And you could probably get a really good scholarship if you really went at it. So I said, I want to play French horn to my band teacher. And he said, you can't do that until you play trumpet because French horn is so much harder. And I said, okay, that's fine. Hmm. So when I eventually switched to French horn, I was the only French horn player uh, in middle school and in high school. uh, Because nobody, it's just not like a common instrument. Right. You know, most people want to play saxophone or like tuba or something. Right. Um. So it was really great because I was like, you know, I got to be like first chair French horn, first out of one, you know, right. <laughs> uh, took the pressure off of like, you know, competition right. with other people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's only, when there's in, only one chair, there's only one choice. Exactly. Yeah. But that, so again, like my influences in that regard, were definitely like my, my older siblings. Interesting. Um, when was it, when did, was the first time you realized that you could write a song? Oh man. Um, I, I mean, do you feel like you can write a song? <laughs> 10 well, years down the line? <laughs> I, I know I, I guess can write maybe, a song. I don't yeah. know if it's a good song. But, <laughs> right. uh, the, so when I, um, my brother, you know, is a singer songwriter. He makes mm-hmm. really amazing. A lot of like, uh, folk kind of country oh, really? stuff. It's always really, really great. And, uh, so, I grew up seeing like him kind of make these songs. And so I wrote a couple songs. Um, Cause one thing I knew I was really into was uh, like playing bass and eventually singing yeah. and writing some lyrics, but never really like writing a full song. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the biggest thing that I knew I loved was recording music. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, really loved uh, like kind of getting my hands on, like a a desk or, uh, you know, setting up microphones and stuff like that. Right. That's what I went to high, uh, to college for. Um, so just to like kind of practice doing that, I would like make these kind of little songs. Um, and, uh, so I wrote a couple of them and, uh, one song was like a a song about Siamese twins. Uh, Mm -hmm. and another was about like coal miners and huh. uh, that second one was um, one that I wrote specifically to like uh, sing with my brother. And uh, and he 
was really with both of those songs. He was like, these are brilliant. And I don't know if he was being a good older brother, but to this day, he's like, you remember those songs? Those were really good. <laughs> and I I was like so embarrassed of them. I really didn't think they were good. But that was my first experience actually like writing a full song with lyrics and kind of chords and everything. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, from there, eventually it was like I wrote, I was writing so many lyrics and I was, you know, playing, you know, piano and guitar and kind of like messing around with stuff. The first experience I had with like truly writing full songs was I do a solo project called Smidley. Um, and I wrote a, a full album for that. Uh, and that was, that was like, I did it to like prove to myself that I could, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I, I finished it and I'm like so proud of it. And I, I had such a good time doing it. And that really led into like this album where I, I wrote a lot more songs than any other one that we had done. Uh, so I don't know. That was, uh, oh, are, you not, are, you, are you not right? Are you not writing the songs? You co-write it with another band member or. So the way our first two, the, the way our first album worked was we really jammed every song together. Yeah. Um, and so all of those parts were just like insane, like, you know, part after part after part, no like verses or choruses for most of the songs. Right. Um, our second album, uh, Eric took kind of like, jumped in and took the lead on actually like writing full instrumentals and uh, they became a lot more structured and made more sense. And they were, you know, better written songs. Um, And the third album, uh, again, that was like Eric really spearheading everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And then finally uh, for this album, for draw down the moon, this is the one that I really like, got in there and like would write like full things yeah. and then bring them to Eric and then we would really work on them. Uh, so it was, a, it was a lot of uh, either I would write like a full song and then we would collaborate on how to like actually execute it or Eric would write uh, either a full song or like a part of a song and then we would like flesh it out. And when you're saying uh, writing, you're, you're talking about lyrics or you're coming um, with lyrics more, and more, every time more I say writing a song, I usually mean like the actual instrumental and the chords yeah, yeah, and the, the yeah. full structure of the song. Lyrically, I, I wrote all the lyrics for you're it. You're writing all the lyrics. Okay. Yeah. We kind of crossed over because I was thinking of writing uh, yeah, a song. Yeah. I guess I initially I was thinking of writing a song and in, in the, and in the lyrical content because um, I mean, you go deep, man. You go, these are very, this is, this is very personal and existential stuff. And I, and I love that about, about you and about the band and uh, the, putting you. that together with, with the live performances are truly um, astonishing. I, I, I really, I love the energy a lot. Like I said, I'm a big national fan and um, I love just the getting, getting it out there and, and, and putting yourself out there is just so compelling. Well, thank you so much. I mean, this is, I, I, I think, um, I think this is the most personal album that, I, that I've written uh, lyrically mm. um, because I think the, the very first album was kind of like just finding our footing in terms of how we would really go about writing everything. The second album was like a deeply personal album, but in a way that was like, uh, it didn't feel great to do, <laughs> I guess. Um the first two albums were uh, uh, me and our old bass player, who's no longer in the band, Josh. We would like co-write lyrics and we would edit each other's stuff. Um, so a lot of the songs were like half mine, half his. Um, 
And then Near My God, which is our third record, the one before mm-hmm. this, uh, that was the first one where I wrote everything. And then Draw Down the Moon is, you know, the second where I'm doing that. And I think on Near My God, I was trying to write things that were more like um, existential dread and kind of apocalyptic and sort of more like um, more detached from self a lot of times. Hmm. Uh, there are there are personal songs on that album, but I think overall they're a, a, like more removed from myself and more just kind of like everything's really fucked is the kind of general theme of the whole thing. When did that one come out? Uh, that was 2018. Right. Well, that was prescient. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and, you know, more so now probably. But <laughs> the, uh, the, the whole theme on this record is trying to solve for that exact same dread um, and trying to really think about, you know, like the, the, the whole theme of the entire record is cosmic significance. You know, yeah. what is your place in the grand scheme of things? Um, what is it? I don't know. It's sort of like, what is the meaning of life? But at the same time, like trying to do that in a much more simple, like straightforward, um, uh, segmented way. So like every song on the album is a different theme. The the mm. idea that we're positing in it is um, that it, we are insignificant, but our connections to the people we love, the places we love, the philosophies we subscribe to, yeah. the connections themselves are the significant things. So right. every song on the album is like a different connection uh, with a different thing so that it's not right, something right. where the whole thing is like this, what do we mean and what is the meaning of life? It's more like, no, okay, so what is my relationship to age in the context of, like, the people around me? You know, I am, like, the first song is all about age. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, what does it mean to age? Uh, But at the same time, you know everyone around you, all of your friends are aging at the exact same rate as you. So what does it mean to grow old with everybody around you? Um, Which is a lot easier to do than to just go, like, what's the meaning of life? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and those are questions that the bigger questions are questions that everyone asks and they're just fucking mind blowing, right? But do you feel like you've, did, was that a conscious, that's, that's sort of your effort to sort of drill down and from the macro and take it to the micro so that it becomes more manageable and less like totally fucking depressing and mind blowing? I mean, what's yeah, the meaning well, of life? I don't fucking know, but I do know I've got like, bunch of friends and my family and my dog and my kids and exactly you know, and and i can measure things by that that's the meaning of my life let's say right yeah and it's not even like what is the meaning of my life as much as um the overall idea is what is my significance as i relate to the universe um mm. but it's so much more manageable to think of that in in 10 parts you know like mm-hmm. to not have every song be about that exact thing as much as like that be the foundation that is the ultimate question lying beneath but to say you know this song is going to be about sexuality this song is going to be about death this is about success uh you know the the segmenting them makes it so much easier to actually approach the overall idea it's why a book about something like that would be in chapters rather than just being a a single sentence well which is why books are in chapters probably (laughs) yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) so what you do age sexuality what are the are there 10 different topics you sort of overlap and if you and did you categorize it that way yeah so i tried to like um like early on tried to kind of make um the themes in advance uh 
like we would we would kind of write the instrumental of something and i would say yeah. like okay this is i think this would fit here mm. so it's uh age uh uh financial debt like what is my relationship <laughs> to money essentially yeah 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 um uh then there is sexuality there is commitment um kind of devotion you know the idea mm. of uh being better for someone um then there is uh uh success as it relates to a career um then there is home what is you know my relationship to home what what or who do i call home mm-hmm. uh then there is uh the idea of luck uh like what hmm. is my relationship to luck and fate interesting um, then there is i immediately uh, think of like asian philosophy when you say luck because they the, yeah with the numbers and the the animals and all totally that. I, don't, I don't know a lot about it i'm kind of like i just like yeah well the idea of that song that song is called at least we found the floor and it's essentially the idea of um prediction and uh kind of fate mm-hmm. um being i kind of try I had this idea in my mind. Do you ever see those? Uh, I think, I don't know what they maybe for like State Farm or Progressive, yeah. where there was a guy that was like, um, uh, he like represented like a uh, tragedy or like, I don't know, like a disaster. And he would be like, this is really. Uh, no, 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 if, no, no, no. I get, I'm, I'm following. He's the guy that's like chaos. He's that actor. Yeah. I forget what his name is. I don't okay, know if you know exactly what I'm I don't know. About. Yeah. I don't know what brand insurance it is. Like, you know, he's I, like, I'm, an accident, I'm your accident waiting to happen. Right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. He's like riding on top of a car. Right. right. And he's it's actually like, a really cool existential kind of totally. notion. Right. Yeah. Yes. And he, right. yeah, he's pushing a tree over onto your yeah, 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 house. Yeah. Or protect whatever. yourself, protect yourself from, uh, from me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mayhem. Maybe. Mayhem. Maybe it might be so, mayhem. Yeah. Maybe. Well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. the idea was like I, I was kind of envisioning that guy as like this demon. So the opening line of the song is like, "Oh fuck, here he comes again, the bad luck demon." You know, yeah. like he's. It's the whole thing is supposed to be like, co- like having a conversation like with that demon, mm-hmm. and so the chorus of the song is uh, the demon saying. Uh, you know, it, well, at least he found the floor. It can't get much worse than this. Uh, and then right, right, right. the last line of each one is, uh, you know, hey, this isn't even the floor yet. It's going to get much worse than this. And oh, back shit, to yeah. thinking about it. So really the idea being like, you don't know what rock bottom is because it doesn't exist. It, things can always be worse. You will never be able like to even quantify luck is ridiculous because the spectrum of misfortune and uh you know, whatever good luck is, uh, infinite, you know, <laughs> there will, it, it, there is an well, infinite is, amount of, good are you being luck positive or are you just being like insanely like negative and pessimistic? Because there's two ways of looking at that, right? If you're looking at like, no, that's not the bottom there's you're, you're doing okay. That could be, there's a lot worse than that. Or it's like, you got a lot farther to fall, dude. <laughs> I think it's more the second. I think it's it's more pessimistic in in saying there is always the bottom will always fall out of everything that you think is your rock bottom. You know, when you reach that and when you really feel like things couldn't be worse, they always will be. It's not even they always can. They always just will be. And I think in that pessimism, there is, uh, to me, a sense of like meditation that you can find. You know, when you truly mm. like we have 
we have had some really crazy, horrible things happen to us. We have had van accidents. We've had injuries. We've we got thirty thousand dollars worth worth of gear stolen from us once. Yeah, I read about uh, that. <laughs> yeah, like did you ever find out the, who the perpetrator of that was? Nope. Did you ever uh, find anything? Never found a single piece of gear. It was mm. uh, yeah, it was may- a professional that's, job. That's mayhem, man. Exactly. But in those moments, you know, you think that's like the worst that it gets, and then. In doing that, like a, a great example is that exact situation was um, that happened. And then we started like a GoFundMe to like try to like recover from it. And we totally recovered and everybody was so great. And we oh. stopped the GoFundMe and we were like, great, thank you. And then we realized that you have to pay taxes on all that, you know, like on the, Gof- <laughs> on the GoFundMe money. Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't we didn't ask for enough because we had to pay taxes on all that stuff and we had to replace everything. My point is really like. Even in the good luck and even in the great things that happen, like misfortune finds its way back in. And in recognizing that, you won't, you, you don't get so, so unbelievably depressed by it. That, that's at least the way it works for me. And yeah, I, that's and, the way it works for you, for sure. Recognize. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm still trying to figure out, like, so recognizing it and saying that it's not necessarily the bottom. Like I said, we're, there's still two ways of looking at that, right? Of course. There's always like, well, yeah, you're at an okay place. It's not actually bottom. Yeah. Does that- I mean, I, I think that there's, that is a thing is like, it, it I mean, I don't know. I, I listen, I, I yeah, thought yeah. I was pessimistic <laughs> until I started talking to you and going down this road. And then I'm like, no, I'm not. So there is a bottom to my best. There's no bottom to my pet. No, because there's something a lot lower than that. Yes. <laughs> I, but that, that's Connor the- Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that that is like, um, you can totally, uh, to me, it's like, if you listen to that song and you really feel like, that actually makes me feel better because things could always be worse, you know? Oh, so um, then you're agreeing with me then. No, I, I think that that's great if that's the way you look at it. To me, in the per- as the person writing it, my yes. thought with it was actually in recognizing the suffering, it actually becomes more tolerable and manageable. There, is a, really- cathar- there is a catharsis. Yes, it's the same way that... And I read that a lot about... Sorry, but I read that a lot in comments on YouTube or or what have you Mm -hmm. from fans that are like, man, this fucking helped me because... And it always helps people to just... And that's not only the cathartic um, angle, but it's... It's it's different uh, that it just helps people to identify with other people that are going through the same thing, and that's that's exactly. the power of music also because then you attach the emotion of the musical impact, etc. And it's the power of to me one of the most powerful things in the world, which is being able to just complain or being able to just feel the emotions that you're you're going through. Mm-hmm. You know when you when you are talking about like. God, I just like nothing is going right and my whole life is crumbling around me. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to pay rent. And then somebody says like, it's all going to be okay. You're going to be totally fine. Everything always works out. Sometimes that's helpful. But usually it's like, listen, man, all I want to do is say (laughs) this is all fucked and I'm completely you know, underwater here. Like, Well, I mean, there's two ways of looking at that, right? It's like, yeah. Think things can look fucked, but there's different ways of solving it, right? And people come to different terms in solving these solving issues. I yeah. mean, you know, I try to look at 
don't look too far down the road because that can be upsetting and don't look back and say, oh, I should have fucking done it this way, right? Um, what can I do right now to tackle something? Yeah, I, exactly. I, I think that it's really important to be constructive about how you your actions, you know, mm-hmm. and how you uh, go forward. Yeah. But at the same time, I think to be the most constructive that you can be, sometimes you really need to just like sit in the pool of your own tears, you know, and just, mm. and I think mm-hmm. that that's what our music sometimes provides is a way like, uh, of saying like, everything is totally fucked. There is no coming back from this. You are completely screwed here. And sometimes it kind of helps to just wallow in that and go like, I'm right. unlovable and nobody will ever want to love me. And like no, my life is falling apart because the reality is like, uh, we're being very severe here. Like that song, at least you found the floor is like, I'm being pretty severe in saying like everything will get worse and you've, you have no idea what the worst is. Mm. It's like it, to me, it allows you to really go like, yes, everything is going to get worse and worse and worse until you die. But the reality is like along the way you find all of this beauty and you're like, you find true happiness, but it's like, it it gives you a second to just go like, everything is fucked. You know what I mean? I don't know if that really makes as much sense to you as it does to me, but like, that's, I don't know. That's just where that was kind of the intention in writing the song. Yeah. I mean, I think you're speaking again to that level of catharsis and, and, but it is a way of looking at things like there's so much shit that's going on, but there's still a level of gratitude in what you're saying. Of course. Would that, be, would that be a fair analysis? Oh, definitely. That is yeah. extremely fair. Um, I think, you know, and actually it's like the, the song that precedes it is mm-hmm. about homesickness. You know, it's about mm-hmm. like taking a, account of the mundanity of what makes you homesick. Um, so the song that is right before it is called Bialystok. Um, the opening line of the song is... Uh, uh, I was just thinking about watching television next to you just to sit there on the couch, not do much of anything at all is sacred insignificance alms from the universe. You know, it's like this, this is the greatest thing in the world is being on this couch with the person I love watching TV. Mm -hmm. You know, the second verse of it is uh, I was just thinking about arguing in the kitchen just to be the one that you argue with is a miracle in itself, you know? It's like the these extremely mundane and even like kind of shitty times are like so beautiful and amazing, you know, like and then the chorus of the song is I feel so homesick everywhere I go without you. And like, yeah. uh, you know, and following that with like everything is fucked <laughs> is a moment to like decompress uh, or maybe the opposite of decompress, like get uptight about something. Mm hmm. And then again, another release after that, which is the next song is all about emotional vulnerability. We right. structured it in this specific way to be like tension and release, you know, like the tension of like everything is crumbling around me. And then the release of like, sometimes you need to cry, you know, like, right. Uh, right. And yeah, then, it's so it's yeah. so interesting. So how do you, um, what, it, what, how, what do you feel is your connection with fans and, and, um, how does that translate to your, per, your live performances? I think, um, our connection with fans is always, I mean, there's kind of a line that we walk of, um, being extremely connected with and 
engaging with fans uh, because we love people that love our music and yeah. we yeah, love yeah, people yeah. that love music in general. Right. Um, we love you. Thank we, you for liking us. Well, it's, it's that. And also like we are fans of music and we are huge fans of like, you know, a lot of artists that we would love to engage with, you know, like if I could like, I don't know, uh, tell Stevie Nicks how much her music means to me, that would be really important. Mm. Uh, and so for us to, you know, when I see somebody that's like Foxing is my favorite band, I want to be able, I want them to be able to like talk to me about it if they want to, you know, yeah, to like yeah, say yeah, like, yeah. here's what yeah, your music cool. means to me. Right. I think that that like, I think it's really cool to like provide that for uh, somebody else because it's something I want from artists that are, are bigger than us, you know, or like the artists that I love, I should say. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, we walk that line though, because we also make very like emotionally you know, kind of draining music. And sometimes like our music is like the soundtrack to somebody's like, uh, like somebody dealing with like trauma in their life or something really, really hyper personal. Um, Mm -hmm. and sometimes that can be like extremely uncomfortable for us because somebody like lays something on you that is like so deeply personal. Right. And so kind of like kind of upsetting that sometimes you need to like just step back and say like, Hey, I'm so sorry that you went through that. And I'm glad our music could do something for you. But also like, I, I just, I don't know if I have, I'm not a therapist, you know, like I, I just right. kind of write these songs. So right. we walk that line consistently. And I think that actually translates to how we perform. Um, we engage very personally with people when we're playing. Uh, but there's also a level of like, we are on, you know, stage performing, you are right. watching, you right. know, we, we like to like uh, come right up close to blurring that line, mm. but also keep it from being this thing that is just like a free for all, um, which is, you know, I, again, I think that that like that goes for everything that we do, uh, like on the discord, you know, it's like uh, we engage with people. We talk to people on there uh, the same way we would talk to people at live shows. But there are there are certain points where you have to say, like, look, we we know that we make this very personal music and it is emotionally kind of engaging but at the same time there are there are times where it's like but we do need to respect the fact that like we're just making music and you're listening to it you know like we can talk about that but like to go really really deep into like some personal trauma or or something is like maybe uh like maybe not good for you and not good for us (laughs) Yeah, in what sense not good? Are you just like, oh, uh, sort like, of in oh, blurring the lines, crossing the line? Oh, yeah, et cetera, yeah. I, I that mean, kind like, of stuff. So have you had experiences like that? I have. I, I mean, like, I, you know, I, I've, I've told this before, but like, there is a point where somebody, um, it was like a, a, on Facebook a long time ago, uh, said something to the effect of like, um, you know, and, and, uh, this is, I, I you know, if, if you're listening to this and, um, I don't know. This is a, a, a trigger warning for anybody that uh, has uh, trauma with suicide. But essentially, um, somebody on on Facebook said like was like messaging me, and I didn't respond to it right away. And then they said something to the effect of like, "Would you even care if some like a fan of your music uh, killed themselves?" And it was Holy like shit. a thing of like you know. Wow. Okay. Uh, I don't know how to respond to that. You know, like I, and, and we've had situations like that before. Um, and 
I think that that is really, that's when you're talking about, uh, you know, how, how our engagement with our fans works, it's like, it's really trying to keep ourselves from those situations yeah. uh, that are, again, like when, when I say not good for them, not good for us, it's like, that obviously is very upsetting to me, but also it's like for that person, there's no way that that helps, you know, like there's no, mm. I couldn't say anything that would actually help that person in that moment. Like I'm not equipped again. I'm not uh, a therapist. I'm not a, yeah. uh, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not equipped emotionally to like help somebody in that situation. Right. Um, right. Right. So anyway, like anything you say at that point is like, no, yeah, I, I, I yeah. That's uh, yeah. That's so that's what. So there has been kind of like a progress. Uh, a sort of people have been projecting onto you stuff, and yeah. it's very difficult to sort of unwind from that and walk that line. You know, it comes with the territory. You're putting some really really personal stuff out there. Obviously, individuals and fans are going to have you know a particular reaction to it. I think that's a testament to um, the depth of 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 your lyrical content and the depth of, of, of the emotional content in the music too, which is, which is a tribute to you and, 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 and the band in one sense, just to put a positive spin on, you know, kind of an otherwise sort of not so positive subject, maybe. Totally. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's like the amount of people that have told us, you know, like this is, uh, your music has helped me deal with this or that, you know, in my life. Uh, it, it's really, really, it feels amazing to hear that because it's like, you know, there has been, there's so much music that I love that has helped me in that same way. Um, and so there's been so much music that has like changed my life and to approach that with our music is like extremely vindicating and extremely like, uh, it just feels, it feels great to hear that. Um, you know, that again, it's like, I, 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 uh, I always fear though, the aspect of like <laughs> that crossing a line to get to the point where I'm like negatively impacting somebody's life in that way. Um, but anyway, well, you can't worry about that. That's no. not, that's not, <laughs> it, that's uh, entirely and utterly out of your control, but it must be like very validating for you as well. Um, that you put your own sort of thoughts and feelings and emotion into the songs and they, and other people do find that they identify with that. Does that give you a sense that you've kind of tapped into some universality or does it sort of, I mean, it's not really a either or thing, but just kind of a, so the universality side, or is it more like, does it give you a sense that, um, what you're kind of saying, just you're happy that someone else sort of identifies with it? I think that there's a sense of universality. I think it's kind of both of what you said. It's like, there is a sense of, there are songs that I've written that have been like, I've felt like were like hyper specific to me, you know, mm. um, that song about emotional vulnerability that I was talking about, it's called cold blooded on this record. And in mm. that song, I'm like hyper specific, uh, about like, you know, things that used to make me cry, uh, that like no longer have that effect that like I miss, you know, and I'm, I'm whatever, like I'm, I'm writing about these things that are like, so just for me. Yeah. Uh, and to see people engage with that and really say like, Oh my God, like this is, uh, I really felt this because like, this is how I feel. I feel like emotionally distant from myself all the time. And like, right. It's, I build up all of this emotion and then like, just uh, something will just set it off. 
uh, because it's been building for so long. And to hear that is like, so what I'm going through is maybe not the most universal thing in the world, but it's like something that a lot of people connect with. Yeah. And so I feel like, you know, there's some artists that I really love where when you listen to their music, you feel kind of like a voyeur to their like uh, depression or something, mm. because it's like, I have no idea what that's like. Um, but like, I... Uh, appreciate you writing that and I like connect with it because like I feel for you and it feels like I'm connecting with somebody going through something and I think that our music doesn't really do that as much as like we write something personal that feels too specific but at the same time it's like you you get what that means I'm singing about like you know how Enya used to make me cry uh and like you might not have ever cried to only time by Enya but like you can replace that with a song from your childhood that like really, you know, impacted you, you know? Yeah. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of the sense of, um, knowing that there's something else out there that sort of impacts you and others. And there's, there's a power to that, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. God, it's such interesting stuff, Connor. Um, Wow. I'm really fascinated by it. I'm going to for sure dig in uh, a ton more <laughs> into what you guys are doing. I'm excited that you're going back on tour, you know? I am too. Um, yeah. And it's starting kind of in the fall. Talk about how you, what your what your thoughts are on that after this long kind of hiatus in the new album. Well, um, so I mean, like, we're right about to play our first show in almost two years um, at uh, the pageant in St. Louis, which is a nice. venue we grew up going to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that we've never played before. And we're very excited about that. Um, and are all those dates with Manchester Orchestra? Well, so this first one is just our release show. Um, oh, right. Okay. So that's, yeah. So there's that one is by itself. And then um, we are going out with Manchester Orchestra in uh, October. And we're doing like three runs with them. So it's like October uh, for like, I don't know, 10 days or something. And then again with them for like five days uh, surrounding like Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And then again in, I think, March. Uh, and so it's kind of like broken up into these parts. And so we're extremely excited about that because we miss playing live more than anything in the world. Um and I'm like extremely nervous about it because a like I don't know if I can still play music. Uh, and <laughs> have you tried? Like, can you go down to your basement? Or yeah, yeah, we've we've uh, I know what we, you mean though, dude. <laughs> we put on like a um, a live like concert film thing. Uh, oh, cool! That was really great because it's like okay, we can still play. Yeah, um, yeah. 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 And I was just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but that's something serious to me. Of like, I don't right. know if I can still move around the way I was before, because I was doing it so consistently and then having like two years off is like, I don't know. It's like, you know, you hope that it's a riding a bike thing, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who yeah. knows? Anyway. Right. Um, so I'm nervous about that. And then also nervous about if it's actually going to happen, obviously with, you know, yeah, with the, the rise in stuff. cases yeah, and right. the new variant and everything. Uh, mm-hmm. And we want to be, you know, we don't want to be responsible for anybody getting sick. Uh, right. So we're, we're very, we're like being very vigilant about it. Like our, our pageant show is like, you have to show proof of vaccination or negative COVID test yeah. to get into it. Um, which we're very happy that the pageant 
let us and they, do that. They move forward with kind of like a masking policy as well. Yes, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's all okay. masked, and then you have to show yeah. proof of vaccination. Yeah. And so we're, we're hoping- talking now. This is like the second week of August, obviously, and we're talking into the future now because you know the podcast publication, yada yada Ooh, yada. Yeah. So who the fuck? Who the fuck knows? I hope that. You know, I I was kind of like long ways back. I'm like, oh, we're going to be wearing masks coming back to shows, and then we came back to shows and we weren't wearing masks, and now we are, and I sort of feel better about it now that we are. I mean, I, I do want, too. Oh, I mean, like, let's I, do everything we can to just keep this thing moving because it's been fucking amazing that we've been like fired back up. Yeah, I I'm so I'm so nervous because I'm like, yeah. this is my whole job uh, is, and, and you know, we survived the the whole thing with like Patreon and subscription stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I don't know if anybody can go back to it. It's like, we, we spent so long doing it. Uh, and like, you know, I think everybody's like starving for like live kind of music and connection to right. all this stuff. Uh, I have a friend, uh, Missy who, uh, plays in the band mannequin pussy. And, mm-hmm. uh, I was, uh, talking to her on, on Twitter uh, like we were just DMing and I was like, you know, she's out with the band Japanese breakfast and mm-hmm. I was like, how's it, how's it going out there? Like what's, what's it like? And she was like, everybody needs this so badly. Like yeah, everybody at these shows, like she's been leading a group scream every night. Like, uh, <laughs> and it's like, she's just like, everybody needs this. They're, they're know, starving I for know, like man. this kind of connection. And, uh, and I feel the same way. I feel like I need it. Um, so yeah, it feels yeah. good to get out there. I've been out there to a whole uh, a bunch of shows already, man. Oh, that's it's, awesome! It's, it's I don't think I've gone to great. a single one. Yeah, I've been to almost uh, you know like dozen or so, man, or more. But um, <clears throat> you know, it's um, yeah, it's great. It's just uh, it's great that it's happening and moving forward. I'm more of like just psyched at the the whole big picture of the industry getting out there, you know, and just that that shows are just happening. Totally. And then from a big picture perspective, but I look forward to seeing you guys. Uh, I think you're coming down through Chicago and playing at the Riv with Manchester Orchestra in, right. in March or something like that. So, I don't think uh, we've ever played the Riviera. So, Oh yeah. The Riv's a good room. It'll be dope. Um, Thanks for thanks for sitting down and chatting with me, Connor. This has been really fucking awesome, man. I've loved uh, getting to know you and getting to know the music a bunch and um, kind of, delving deep down into your pessimistic and um, just dark nature <laughs> and then coming back out. And I feel like I, I survived that journey, which is always a positive. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I didn't depress you. So, I'm probably like, not the first one that's told you that, but you know, I, you know, honestly, I think you're, you're being the most honest about it. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope I didn't depress you too much. I no, I, a... I appreciate. No, no way, man. I appreciate the uh, the honesty, and you kind of <laughs> have this intellectual way of going about it, and uh, and you got a good sense of humor, and I love. I can I can vibe with that, man. I love. Well, that. thank you. That's what it takes. That's what's that's what's keeping you alive, man. Is the sense of, <laughs> it's the sense of humor, man. I mean, usually when you're going like existential, it's like you know, boring, deep voices, slow talking and a lot of cigarettes, but you know, yeah. this is, well, uh, uh, I like to I, think I love, though, I love a sense of humor, man. And, and, uh, people who listen to my podcast know that I'll like first, my default is just a joke about something, which does not, <laughs> which serves me well in a lot of situations, but <laughs> not well, in everyone. Well, I, I, I do. I will say, I like to think that draw down the moon is by far our most optimistic and positive album that we've made. And it has been the most positive album in terms of like, you know, for me to feel like a healthier person, like that is, it has happened. So right on, right on. I, uh, 
yeah, with all my pessimism, it's uh, it's got a silver lining to it. I think that's so. That's- that's thank you for now. talking to me about it <laughs> yeah yeah thanks for being here connor that was that was a real blast man thank you cheers 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 to you take care okay that was connor murphy of the band foxing i'm so glad to have connor here i just had a wonderful time chatting with him batting around different philosophical ideas going in a whole bunch of uh different directions and um love talking about his new album and uh draw down the moon which again like i said at the top is their their fourth album and uh obviously with being around for 10 years now and foxing uh connor seems like he's kind of at the point where um you know he's thinking a little bit more philosophically about where the band's going and what the career uh what his own career progression has sort of looked like and that has um that was really interesting to talk about uh, also really enjoyed uh how he reflected about the COVID period and kind of his thinking during uh, that time and in being creative with their own music during that time for their fans when there were no live shows. And Connor talked about, um, in his own words, to be as ambitious and innovative as the band possibly can for his own sake and their own sake and for the sake of the people that are into what they do. So um, it was uh, just really intriguing to listen to Connor talk about how he wants to be just continue to uh, delve deeper into his own uh, musical creativity uh, for the sake of the fans, for the sake of the band and for his own creative impetus. So uh, that was really interesting. Um, Can't wait to see these guys live on tour. I think they're coming back uh, to where I am in Chicago in spring they're out with manchester orchestra uh just went out on tour uh beginning i think the beginning of this month october uh and over the course of the fall they'll be doing dates and continuing on to the spring like i said so hopefully you can catch them out there on the road and for sure check out the new album draw down the moon which is really an amazing work uh about life and about the cosmic nature of life and interconnectedness of all these different types of themes and uh it's really intriguing so thanks again for being here uh really appreciate your support of Rowcase. we got tons of great guests coming up so stay tuned for those and you can follow us on instagram at, at @roadcasepod for the latest information about Roadcase. and i want to send a special thank you to connor murphy for being here on this episode of Roadcase. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at RoadcasePod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. Yeah.